All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, we had Matthew Kachuk on yesterday. That was a lot of fun talking to him. Very open, honest. Yeah, well-spoken guy. Well-spoken. We love family. having the Kachuks on. But we've been kind of working through both teams that went to the Stanley Cup final, getting an opinion from the, Mark a Panther, getting an opinion from a Vegas Golden Knight, been talking to other uh, players from other teams as well. But we continued that trend yesterday, catching up with Aiden Hill, who's got his day with the cup coming up. He's going to be playing road hockey with kids in Calgary, which sounds like a lot of fun. So to tee all that up, we caught up with Aiden Hill, of course, who won the Stanley Cup as the starting goalie with the Vegas Golden Knights and is enjoying a champagne filled summer here's our conversation with Aiden Hill pleased to be joined now by Aiden Hill of the Vegas Golden Knights are you still smelling champagne everywhere Aiden <laughs> not quite anymore but uh, I got my cup party in a couple of weeks so I'm sure there'll be some champagne flowing there what's the plans for the day with the cup the cup party and uh, the big celebration that you guys get to get to do uh, yeah, I was just going to take it to a few kind of local places and then uh, with some friends. I think we're going to have like a little street hockey tournament like Ooh. we're playing for the cup. Oh, that's really cool. And then, yeah, no, it should be fun. And then at the end of the night, I'm just going to kind of take it somewhere private and just have a few friends and family and just kind of enjoy our time with it. Will this be in the hometown uh, Comox, BC, I believe it is? Uh, no, it'll be in Calgary. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, because we uh, we looked it up. We know we like hamlets, like small towns. We saw you were like born. She's very in interested in Comox. Comox. Very, very. What's interested. the vibe there? <laughs> Do you ever go back? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've, I haven't been back in a few years now. I was uh, born in Comox, but my uh, mom moved to Calgary when I was like three or four, mm-hmm. so I pretty much grew up in Calgary. All right, well, it gets to go to Calgary, and I love that uh, the plan you have set sounds really good, a little street hockey tournament. Um, that'll be an absolute blast. So a cup champion, a Stanley Cup champion, uh, does it sink in yet? Like, have you had some time to really sit with it? I know you've had some other external things going on and, and some deals to be signed, but just the idea that you're a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still pretty uh, surreal to think. Like, uh, I guess a year ago, if you told me that, I wouldn't quite believe it, but... Uh, you know what, it's uh, awesome, and uh, to do it with the group of guys that we have in Vegas uh, is truly unbelievable. So I'm still enjoying it and embracing it, and, uh, I mean, makes you want to do it again. So what's the Vegas secret then? Like, what's different about Vegas? Clearly, there's a lot of talent on that team, and that is a big difference from, you know, previous stops and where you've been in your NHL career. But if you had to, like, name or identify a differentiator, what makes vegas different what makes them stanley cup champions how are they and have they been so successful in six years i think it's just the culture we have in our locker room like on our team this year i've never been on a team quite like it where everybody was best friends with everyone like we come into the rink every day and uh, everyone's laughing joking around you're poking fun at each other it i don't know the culture we kind of have in that room is uh i don't know i've just never seen anything like it and then, obviously, we have a good roster, too. I mean, you look at the depth up and down, our forward group and our D group, it's uh, pretty amazing that we're able to put that team together. Yeah, you mentioned the culture piece, uh, pretty important. It's, you know, we're in Toronto. It's something we've been talking about this summer, adding a guy like Ryan Reeves, who had an impact in Vegas uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but you were a newcomer to the team. So when you come into a new situation, did it feel automatically right? Did it feel at home? Did you feel like you were immediately part of that culture? And is that how you made your transition so seamless? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, some of the guys on the team were very welcoming when I first kind of came in. And one of the guys especially, unfortunately, won't be with us next year, which is Riley Smith. So mm. he was a awesome leader, a great guy. So uh, it's kind of tough to see a piece go, but I don't think any team really stays together after he win the Cup. So, um, yeah, we've been able to keep a lot of guys. But, yeah, the culture, I mean, it was infectious right away. And, yeah, everybody was on board and, uh, when I got to camp last year, you could tell the only focus was really getting to the playoffs and going for the cup. Yeah, you mentioned Riley Smith, uh, and if there's one thing about Vegas, like the business aspect is something that the organization doesn't shy away from. It's had to make some really, really difficult decisions. A guy who plays your position, who really helped uh, you know, install that organization into the city was Marc-Andre Fleury, and they had to move on from him. They've had to make a lot of changes, and you had to get into no- negotiations uh, with the team, how much like do you had to change your mindset, if at all, when it went from, hey, we're celebrating this great thing we did together to, okay, now I've got to figure out how to get a contract signed uh, with this team. Uh, was that process, how was that process, and how quickly did you have to turn your attention a little bit more serious? Uh, yeah, I mean, the process, I didn't think was too painful or long or anything. Uh, I thought they were pretty kind with it, but... Uh... Yeah, it was just kind of, I mean, every team has to deal with the business side of things. You need to keep the salary cap lower, and especially with it not going up, it's kind of hard. But, I mean, you have to understand, like, as a player, like, the business side is the business side, and you can control what you can control. So, I mean, it was a little weird flipping the switch from kind of celebrating winning the cup to getting down and signing a contract. But, I mean, at the same time, it seemed pretty seamless to me. Uh, choosing to make Vegas home makes a lot of sense to someone like me uh, who likes Vegas and thinks it'd be probably pretty cool to play hockey in Vegas professionally. Uh, But I wonder, you know, what signing that contract does for your drive. Of course, you've already reached the pinnacle. You win the Stanley Cup as the starting goaltender for an elite team. uh, But now there's some responsibility, I guess, attached with the price tag that you agreed on. Uh, does it drive you to be better, to be more, to live up to the contract? Like, since you signed that deal, what has kind of been your uh, modus operandi this summer? Uh, yeah, I guess my idea would be I kind of want to make a contract seem like I'm underpaid in a way, right? So I, I don't know. I want to go out and kind of have more success, kind of build off last year. And hopefully, obviously, the goal at the end of the day would be to win another cup. But, uh, I mean, I do think we have the team where we could do it. But, yeah, no, I feel like my drive has never been higher, I guess. Getting a taste of winning just makes you want to do it again. And obviously with your uh, your story this season and specifically the uh, the postseason with getting the ball and running with it, uh, looking forward at this upcoming year, there'll be a little bit of a goalie competition, maybe a friendly competition between you and some of the netminders. Um, I would assume that also gives you an extra boost, um, an added uh, layer of um, you know preparation, which you w- would obviously certainly still have. But the idea that you uh, sign this contract and you want to also earn the starting role spot uh, continuing from the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to start the year with the starters and just kind of run with it. But mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, me and uh, Thompson there, we have a good relationship. We've known each other since elementary school. So uh, mm-hmm. kind of wild there. But uh, yeah, no, so we have a good relationship with each other and we'll have a healthy competition with each other. We'll be pushing each other in practice and in games. So I think uh, we're in a really good situation there. And yeah, I'm hoping I can just kind of keep the momentum from the playoffs and build it into this year and keep it rolling. Yeah, it's certainly a special relationship between goaltenders that are battling it out, but also supporting each other. And um, I, I wonder what the challenge is that this 
postseason had, you know, jumping on that moving train, um, taking the ball running with it, as you mentioned. But I'm sure that there was uh, expectations that you probably didn't have on yourself always. Then you were given that role and your team was going for the cup. And and I think that you probably had uh, a lot of mixed uh, emotions going through that. The team seemed to support you. Every post-game interview that we heard from your teammates was always about how like much your story and your opportunity really pushed them as well and how much they saw like a fighter in you and it kept them going. Um, how was the jumping on the train and running with it and being able to lead that team to Stanley Cup, uh, that entire process? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always hard when you see a teammate go down. So we are playing in Edmonton in that game three and then uh, Brassois got injured, came across and hurt himself and mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard as a goalie. I had me earlier in the year with Thompson, too, when you're sitting on the bench and you see your teammate kind of go down, but then you're kind of like, okay, I got to kind of get going here, right? So you kind of feel bad and have a little sympathy for them, but then well, there's a job to do, right? So I feel like I've always been kind of good at compartmentalizing that and just trying to focus on the moment. And I've always felt in my career, I kind of thrive in big games and big moments. It's I don't know, I guess in those times, I kind of like the spotlight. So, I mean, it seemed pretty, I don't know, I didn't really feel too much pressure or anything. I knew we had a good team in front of us, and it was just basically kind of go out and play my game. Uh, a nice little boost that you guys had, I guess, yourself and Logan and Laurent Brassois and everyone uh, in that uh, goaltending circle there was Jonathan Quick being added to it. Of course, he backed you up uh, in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, and this is a veteran goaltender who's won Stanley Cups himself, of course, added another one uh, to his ledger uh, this past season with you guys. Uh, I wonder if you learned anything from him about the position, about being a pro, about maybe negotiating a contract. Like, what were you able to absorb being around Jonathan Quick, who's going to be going to the Hall of Fame one day? Uh, yeah, I know. I think us uh, picking him up before the deadline there was huge. He's one of the best guys I've ever played with. I can't say enough nice things about him. Uh, the first couple of days he was in town, me and him had breakfast a couple times together, and just kind of talk a bit and whatever, but like through the whole playoff run, he was just supportive and just kind of, Hey, keep playing your game. There's a couple pointers, whether it was like playing the puck or trying to get a whistle in the zone or I go to the bench at a commercial break. He'd be like, Hey, just try this. And it was just like, okay, yep. Sounds good. So, uh, no, uh, the way he kind of sees the game and what he's been through and the success he's had has been truly remarkable. And yeah, I mean, I think he was an invaluable piece to our team. Uh, we're chatting with Aiden Hill, who's going to be hosting a Stanley Cup party, a little road hockey tournament. I never played for the Stanley Cup playing road hockey, so I'm sure that will be pretty cool. Uh, the defense with the Vegas Golden Knights, I think, if we're talking differentiators, that is one. Of course, you know, you played brilliantly. You got yourself yourself into the con Smythe discussion with your play individually, but you certainly had some help with that defense core, which could be the envy of the entire NHL. Uh, We've been talking since the win during the Stanley Cup final about how good that defensive core is. Uh, How good is it really from your vantage point? What do you see that's different from the six guys who played on the blue line for Vegas versus not to, you know, throw former teammates under the bus, but what's different about Vegas's blue line compared to other blue lines you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think our smallest guy might be 6'2". So uh, we have a lot of big D-man and... The thing about our D group is they can all skate, they can all move the puck, they can all make plays, and they all commit to the defensive zone. So, I mean, I think I said it multiple times this year, I don't think we have the 
top six guys in the league, but I think we have like the top seven as a group because Hudden, every time he had to come in off the bench or uh, from the stands, he was unbelievable too. So, yeah, I mean, feel like if we ever had an injury, you could plug a guy in. A couple of young prospects are good too. So the way they've like developed these guys are just hard, heavy. Like if I was another forward group and I looked at that roster, I wouldn't want to play against them. <laughs> yeah, so I think you're right. Their commitment to their commitment to blocking shots, boxing guys out, and then in the offensive zone, they can make plays too. So, uh, yeah, no, playing in front of that D group, it uh, definitely makes the game simpler at times for me. You mentioned a lot about uh, the team dynamic and how it was something special, something you hadn't really experienced previously. Uh, we got to chat with Bruce Cassidy um, about a week and a half ago. It was his day with the Stanley Cup, and he brought it to the Cape. And um, obviously, he's got a lot of fond memories from both of those uh, franchises um, where he was with the with the Boston Bruins and, of course, now with the Vegas Golden Knights. And um, his new role with the, with the Knights obviously went to the highest level of success um, what was his influence um, from the bench and, and creating a culture that obviously was the, the winning winning culture for you guys from top down? Uh, yeah, I mean, it started the first day of camp. We could tell uh, our defensive system was uh, going to get kind of beat down. So it was a good kind of, I think, a good place to start because a lot of the offensive zone is a lot of creativity and kind of on the players. But right from day one, we beat down the defensive zone and it seemed to come together pretty quick. And then I think it was just like, for him, it was just holding players accountable. No matter who you are, what your number is, how many games you played, just holding everyone accountable and uh, kind of making that, that team environment where like nobody kind of gets a pass. Uh, no small thing can shut down the Vegas Strip. Uh, so you guys, of course, were no small thing winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, what was that experience like, uh, owning the Las Vegas Strip for a few hours and celebrating a Stanley Cup victory for Vegas in Vegas? Are there, I know you, you might want, not, not want to share state secrets here, uh, but are there some memories, some things you can share, uh, some adjectives you can attach to actually celebrating a Stanley Cup for Vegas in Vegas? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible. Uh, if you look back 10 years ago and you told me that there'd be a Stanley Cup winning team in Vegas and they'd be going down the strip on their parade, uh, I'd call you a liar because I wouldn't think it was true. But uh, I don't know, the way that uh, town in Vegas has kind of embraced the team and came around it, it's honestly incredible. Like you go to, I don't know, you go to a grocery store and I'll see 20 different people in the grocery store wearing whether it's a Knights hat or a Knights sweater or something. It feels like you're in a Canadian market. So it's pretty incredible the way that town supports the team. And then you go to the parade, and, yeah, it was pretty surreal. You're driving down the strip, seeing our faces on all the billboards and all that. It was it was awesome. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty fun too. So fun to celebrate going down there and have a few drinks with the teammates. Yeah, uh, definitely. So you you knew you yeah. know what Vegas was like to a certain extent before going to Vegas. Uh, what changed? Did anything change in your mind? Like, did it hit you over the head? You mentioned the grocery store, but like, did it even surprise you after being fully immersed in it, understanding that yeah, you know, Vegas was pretty established well before their Stanley Cup season. Uh, yeah, yeah, you could tell it like the day you kind of come in. We have. We only have open practices, and almost every practice, all the stands in our uh, building are filled, whether it's a Tuesday morning or whatever. So, I mean, the uh, support you feel from the fans there, it's pretty crazy, and uh, they are they were pretty hungry for a Stanley Cup, so it was nice to give it to them. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I gotta think it's one of the best markets in the league to play in, especially when you kind of include the weather and where you're playing too. You can golf at any time. It's uh, it's a great place to play. Well, a couple incredible uh, months for you here, Stanley Cup champion, new contract, and uh, you get to go celebrate uh, in Calgary with your own Cup Day. Uh, really, really appreciate you coming on. Congratulations once again, and best of luck this upcoming year. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you very much. Aiden Hill, netminder for the Vegas Golden Knights, Stanley Cup champ, and has a big road hockey tournament coming up. Yeah, over under two and a half goals get by him on the road hockey court, road hockey rink. I think it's a rink. The street would probably be the proper. Probably the street. How many are going in? Oh, he's going to let in like six or seven. He it's might for the be, kids, He might you know? be so big that they just don't go in. Like he try <laughs> like to get out of the way. he stands there and it's like, I'm trying to he's allow. A, he is a big dude. Yeah. Big, big man. I always wonder, like goaltenders being really, really big. You kind of just, you could just, you could just stand there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even hard. Like, what yeah. are we doing here? If you got yeah, a tall think, kid, put him a, in net. Bit of a competitive advantage there. <laughs> Although you think like the movement would be compromised just a little bit, I guess that's the don't key. Don't bother moving to blend movement and size. You know what I used to have the goaltending position. I don't know why I thought about this. Was when I was I don't know maybe in grade five or six. My parents bought it. Must have just come out. I think it was from Canadian Tire, and it was this blow up goaltender, and it was on a track. And you put it right in front of your net, uh, your hockey net. And it moved? And it moved back and forth. There's like this blow-up goaltender. And I, I How have need, I not seen this? I need somebody to text in. You've definitely had this before. Somebody listening, you know. And it was like this blow-up goalie. And it had like its glove up. And it had the hand on the stick. And it just went back and forth, back and forth in the net. And it was just on like a remote. I remember shooting on this stupid thing. What's it called? Was it a shooter tutor? No, is that no, the, no, is the no, shooter no. tutor just the thing that I goes know in the, the net? I know the shooter tutor. Yes, it does. Just you the, hang it from the top of the, the net. the tarp, right? Yeah, the tarp. Yeah. This was a moving goaltender. It was like, I think it just came out. My parents, you know, dished over some cash for yeah. it. I think it was under the tree and I don't know, but I used it in the summer and I remember it vividly. And what? then it kind of glitched out though. And it was like, eh, eh. It, it, <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't move past one area of the net. You could, like, you know, predict the goaltender's movement a little bit more effectively. Someone when I will know. When I couldn't score on the shooter tutor, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> just pounding it into the tarp over and over and over again wasn't working out I for me. I just Googled motorized goaltender on a track. Uh, that's not what I meant. Like, blow up, go- blow up goalie. Are you familiar with the, like, the mannequins the Maple Leafs were using for a yeah, while? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> they, like, push them out on the ice and, like, one falls over every time. <laughs> They're just, like, so creepy. Anyway, I rest in peace to that thing because it was fun, but I think it popped You might have to day. dig it out. Are you parents people that hold on to things? Or? Are my parents people that hold on to things? They are, like, hoarders okay, so of it's antique in, items. It's in a garage They have or an storage attic. containers, Justin. We'll go through. I will. I bet it's still there. If the text line doesn't help you, you're going to have to do the work yourself. They're listening. They'll know exactly what this was. Okay. So I need it back in my life. Anywho. (laughs) Summer's on the Chew On brought to you by Grey Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. We got like a trifecta of little tidbits. Oh, a couple chews. Do you want to do your Sinclair one that you just read to me while we're getting a Danish? You're putting me on the spot just a little bit, but I think if I remember the stat I rhymed off to you, it's the first time in six World Cups that Christine Sinclair will not be starting. Of course, we mentioned that before the break uh, in the 6 a.m. hour that Sinclair is not in the starting 11 for Canada. First time ever. Super sub, I suppose. Maybe not a sub at all. I imagine she'll see the the pitch at some point. But yeah, Jesse Fleming back in. Christine Sinclair in her sixth World Cup. 
Maybe he doesn't have 90 minutes in the old legs anymore. Maybe not. Hopefully they can make best use of her later on in the match and what's supposed to be something uh, pretty tightly contested. Okay, that was your appetizer. Here's your main course. According to Gary McKay, president of Golf Journalists Association of Canada, the 2024 RBC Canadian Open, a favorite of ours, is expected to take place of the week of May 27th to June 2nd. McKay reports that Golf Canada has been briefing their sponsors about this new date. They also put the event two weeks before the U.S. Open, effectively swapping places with the Memorial. In theory, it should help Golf Canada attract more high-profile players. New date for the RBC Canadian Open pending. Uh, That seems overly optimistic to me uh, because uh, I'm not sure it's going to have the desired effect. The fact of the matter is, if it's not... A designated event, is that what they call it? Where the purses are greater, right? Designated event, which the memorial is, which of course the U.S. Open is, which the Travelers is, which is after the Mm -hmm. U.S. Open. Are you going to play in four straight events if you're a top player in the world? I don't know about that. I mean, this is certainly something that's been brought up a bunch of times. Like, does the time of this tournament affect people that want to come? But, I mean, as long as Nick Taylor's there and it can sink 72-foot putts, who cares? Yeah, exactly. As long as... We're allowed to go as well. Nobody seems to know this goaltender, and I'm rattled. Okay? Yeah, maybe you made it up. No, it's Big real. Big your imagination. My mom already texted me saying, I'm asking your brother. Uh, quickly, though, back to the <laughs> Canadian Open and the Chew. Uh, you wanted the separation with the, from the U.S. Open because mm-hmm. a lot of people like using it as a tune-up, not just to play, but to actually go to the U.S. Open, maybe go to a similar course, practice for the major championship. Separation was key. But if the memorials lodged in between the Canadian Open and U.S. Open, mm-hmm. it might be dicey. We'll see. We never really know, though. People are people make maybe grand enough. So this much, is a terrible thing for the Canadian Open. But it's a good thing. It, maybe there's just so much momentum from last year, and I, I seriously mean that. I'm not just tongue in cheek because of Nick everyone Taylor. wants to take down Nick Taylor. But every year, some major piece of information regarding Liv comes out around the Canadian Open. Back to back news dumps. So. Did Rory McIlroy take the week off after the U.S. Open or after the Masters? I think it was after the Masters. Anyway, you you can't do that. Like, you have to go to the Memorial, right? If it's a designated event in your big game, mm-hmm. that means you're going to be playing a lot of golf in a short amount of time. We will see. I don't really know if that's... It's going to be all that great for the US, or the Canadian Open. I know that you have reached some great news. <laughs> Kevin in Charlottetown just ex- told me what the goalie's called. Okay, what is it? Le goalie. L-E goalie. Le goalie. Here it is. You, can, you can't even find it anymore. Le goalie. Automatically, um, or automatical, what? Automatically automatical. moving goaltender. Great training device to work on your shooting skills. The moving goaltender moves back and forth. It keeps you guessing where to shoot. It comes with two different inflatable goalies. One Toronto and one Montreal. I didn't have that option. It moves on a track you put in front of the net. It has auto- attachment strings you can tie to the posts or a six-foot standard net. It has a remote control with a new 9V battery that controls the goalie. You can move it left or right, and you can put it on random, which makes it unpredictable. Random is what you need, yeah. It comes with a transformer that requires you to plug it into the wall. Great condition. Oh, this is someone selling it. Oh, I think you can I think you can get it on eBay. Anyway, vintage Lagoli. This is it. Thank you. Thank you to Kevin. Only available on eBay and it's, your parents' attic. <laughs> they probably have it. Mike in Asinaboya says, I googled blow up goalie and Matt Murray's Wikipedia page came up. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> shut it down, Time Mike for a from break. Time for a break. Bobby Marks joins us on the other side. Very big day in the NBA. The biggest, richest 
deal ever signed, Jalen Brown's extension. Uh, what does this mean for other players in the league, namely Pascal Siakam? It means loads of cash. Money, money, money. That's next with our guy, Bobby Marks. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This feels somewhat blasphemous. Canada, Ireland happening in Ooh, that's a half true. hour playing music. I don't know if it's native to Ireland, but it feels Irish. <laughs> it does. Doesn't it? Does, does, it feels does. Irish. I'm pretty sure the Dropkick Murphys have some sort of Irish roots. Yeah. Playing with fire here. I'm on Ireland plus a half goal, by the way. Wow. Okay. Let's take a look at that. Okay. Let's move on to the Celtics and all the money being thrown around in the NBA. Let's bring in our next guest, Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider. Good morning, Bobby. How are we doing today? I'm good. Good morning. Thanks. Uh, so the Jalen Brown extension, uh, a whopper, uh, the richest <laughs> in history. Uh, is this just like the new normal? Is this just a product of continued financial growth? Next man up. If you're at all NBA, this is what you're going to be paid. Or is this deeper than that? Is this something more given to Jalen Brown uh, this week by the Boston Celtics? What's the read other than, hey, this is how contracts work nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think it's how it's always worked. I mean, if you usually, if you're, if you're, if you met the criteria of Supermax eligible, meaning that you've earned all NBA uh, in the prior season or, or in back-to-back seasons, you're usually going to be rewarded handsomely with a new new big contract. I mean, every player that's met the criteria has gotten one. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard is kind of different because Leonard met the criteria, but you know, they, he has to be traded here. But I mean, it's, you can negotiate it here, but I think with, with the rise of the uh, you know the salary cap, we had a, we were basically stagnant for a couple of years with COVID. Um, you know, the three hundred four number for Jalen Brown is based on a ten percent cap jumping. Could certainly not be that amount. Could be two eighty five. Could be two ninety. So it's a little bit of a flexible number there. But yeah, I mean, I think listen, if 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 Boston didn't want to do a Jalen Brown extension, then they would have been better off just trading him. Because you couldn't go into the season with the player on an expiring contract um, because the likelihood is that Jalen Brown would have left in, in free agency um, in next offseason here. And it's a big number, you know, and you have Jason Tatum the following year, which is, I think, at like 338. Um, so you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision if those two players are your um, your core players to, to build around. Um, I think with, with Brown, I think you could always pivot. Um, a year, you know, he can't be traded for a year, but a year from now or two years from now, I still think he's got value, even if that number is, is high, um, if you do need to move off that. Were you surprised that the Celtics decided to double down on the Tatum-Brown partnership, that duo, after uh, the way that this season and, and I guess like the, the theme was going with those two? <clears throat> no, mm. I didn't, because I didn't know what the alternative was. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, you're basically... You were two games away from winning an NBA Finals two, a, a year ago. You were one game away from getting an NBA Finals. Um, and I know it didn't end well, um, but you still have two players under the age of, I guess, 26 years old in the prime of their condition here. And um, I always say, you know, every player is tradable eventually. Just because you sign a five-year extension doesn't mean you're going to be in Boston for the rest of your, um, your, rest of your life. Same with Jason Tatum here. And 
I think it's a lot easier to extend and then move off than to basically kind of play out the year or look for, you know, look for trade suitors. Are you going to look for draft picks and young players for Jalen Brown and kind of, you know, take it maybe a step or two back? So I didn't, I didn't think, um, you know, I didn't think, you know, Boston, you know, doubling down on these players was kind of like, you know, a little bit of fool's gold here. I just thought that, you know, this is basically, you know, this is where we are, you know, from a circumstances, you know, standpoint based on how the rules work. And as I said, if, if, you, if you ever wanted to move off one of the two, I think you certainly could do down the road. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact when you're talking about the richest contract, when you're talking about 300 plus million over five years, that is really just following protocol. But that seems like what it is right now, uh, following protocol and spending over $300 million on a player over half decade. But that is the reality right now in the NBA, which is a good thing if you're an NBA player, because, wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, but the Celtics, you know, they are doubling down on that tandem, but they are they did change the makeup of this team this offseason, trading away Marcus Smart, losing Grant Williams, adding Chris Tapps, Porzingis, do you think that partnership is better insulated now than it was? Or is this team maybe due for a little step back despite investing in these two guys or at least investing in one half of the Tatum-Brown partnership? Yeah, I mean, I think Porzingis is certainly the X factor. I mean, you basically traded um, you traded Marcus Smart and Grant Williams for Chris Tapps, Porzingis. I mean, I know that you got some draft equity out of it also, but... That's probably the best way to look at it. I think a lot of it's going to rely on where Malcolm Brogdon is health-wise. Um, you know, certainly wasn't healthy in that Miami series. And as you guys saw with that, you know, failed Clipper trade, a lot of it had to do with from a health perspective here. So you lose smart. Um, if Brogdon's not healthy, then you've got to be, you know, who's playing point guard for you here? And so I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to put them up there. I guess, you know, certainly we'll talk about uh, Milwaukee and, We'll see what happens in Miami with Damian Lillard, um, but I don't. I don't. I think they did take a little bit of a step back in that. It changed the dynamics of the team with Porzingis, but I'm a big Marcus Smart fan, and I do think they did take a little bit of a step back. So, looking around the league, uh, after you know the latest richest deal was signed, the next richest deal will be signed shortly, uh, within the next, uh, if not months, uh, certainly next summer. Who's next up? Who's going to be the next one? We're talking about making a ludicrous sum of money in the next richest deal. I saw Shea Gilgis Alexander's a fan, or we're fans of Shea on this show, of course, but given that he's Canadian and he's playing for our team this summer, which is very, very important. But uh, uh, is he the next up? Is someone going to crack four hundred million soon? When is that? going to happen like where are we going next year in the in the discussion of richest contracts for all nba talent i mean it will be tatum um just because he's already met the criteria um he's got to wait a year because the years of service criteria but yeah i mean tatum's number is going to be 338 could be up to 338 that's the max next um you know next off season after that it, it's basically you know as my colleague brian windhorse calls it the fun max right you know guys who will sign these rookie extensions whether it be Anthony Edwards or Halliburton or LaMelo Balk, um, you know, 260 possibly here. Um, so, yeah, Shea's got a little time to wait, though. I mean, he's got, he's got a couple more years before he can, he can sign, that, um, that, sign that big contract here. I think it's, it's interesting is that the rules, the Supermax rules stayed in place, but it made it harder for you to kind of build out teams um, by paying players a higher number, higher payer salary with this new collective bargaining agreement. And I think that's where, you know, where teams, you know, having three players on big contracts is going to be hard. And I think that's, 
that's where you might be seeing teams kind of shuffle players around a little bit. Maybe Denver a few a year or two from now with Michael Porter Jr. here. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Tatum is the next guy up. Um, you know, after that, um, you know, we'll be in kind of in a waiting period. I don't know if the specter of Saudi money uh, changes this at all for you. I guess it's something that is looming. It's something that certainly has LeBron James's attention and, and other players around the league. But let's say, let's put that all aside and just talk about the NBA's trajectory. In 10 years, a top five player in the NBA who's adequately paid or paid the way they can be, they just signed a contract, let's say, how much is a top five NBA player making annually in 10 years? I would say probably over the life of the, the five-year contract, at least $400 million, I would say. Um, you know, the, Tate, the Brown last year is, set, is close to 70. So I think you're going to be on – you're going to probably see players start at like $75 million, which is ridiculous because – I mean, it's – hey, more power to them. But I remember when I started in, in, the, uh, in the league, I think the max was like $8 million. I think that was the maximum salary. And, and I think it's just the growth of – it's the growth of where this, um, you know, where the league is going to be. There's going to be a, an influx of new TV money, but they did put a cap in there as far as how much the cap can increase. It can only go up 10% here. But listen, you go up 10% every year from 149 next year to 163. You keep on adding up here. That five years from now, you could be looking at a player, um, you know, potentially making, you know, $400 million. <sighs> If you're listening, get your kids in basketball <laughs> real quick, eh? <laughs> Make your free throws. Uh, there you go. Uh, we're talking to Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider. Okay, so let's ask you about a hot topic around these parts. Pascal Siakam, still one of the top names yeah. in the rumor mill. Of, of course, he's entering the final year of his current contract, um, despite being eligible for an extension this summer. So where are you at with the Pascal Siakam rumors, uh, whether he is uh, being floated around as a trade target or not? Yeah, I think you just you have to make a decision. I, I don't think you can go through another um, an, an off season next year. Basically, what happened this year with Fred, and you basically and I know there's so many different players here where you lose lose a player for nothing. And Fred was different because the extension rules didn't help him, um, you know, get a big deal in, in Toronto, and, and certainly Houston kind of came in and overpaid. I think listen, Pascal's extension eligible for four for one ninety two. I think if if Toronto wants him part of their future you put that on the table right now and if he doesn't want to sign it then you're certainly going to be looking forward for trade suitors here but i just have a feeling that we're going to be going through the same thing we did um this past trade deadline whether it be pascal or og or barry Trent, um you know players like that are going to be floated around and i think certainly with a new coach there um i think you just have to pick a direction as far as where you want to go um is it retooling is it rebuilding is it is he the face of your franchise here but um i'd be comfortable giving him four for 192 but the big thing is if he doesn't want to go in that direction or if he doesn't want to sign then what's the next move here as far as moving off his contract and then the other thing is that he's got tremendous value around the league but it's a, it, it, the reality is if he's a player on an expiring contract and there is certainly hesitancy to go out and make a big move for him if you can't resign him. And I think that's where I think that's where teams would certainly be, be concerned here. But I think he's a heck of a player, and I think the, you know if he w- is willing to sign an extension, I think that's certainly something Toronto should look forward to do. Yeah, I mean that conversation's made a little bit more interesting, I guess, after Jalen Brown signs the contract that he did. I, I know Pascal's not in the position well, Jalen Brown is here, in. Well, here, here's the thing with Pascal, though. So here. So if he plays out this season yeah. and earns All-NBA, 
four for five for three oh four. Yeah. That's his number next year. So do you wanna do you wanna take a you know hundred and ten million dollar you know somewhat discount off that number? You wanna bet on yourself, would Toronto even offer that? And that's that's kind of the the you know the risk reward that you know both sides are kind of dealing with. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I wonder and I'm thinking about it more, like he didn't he clearly did not put himself in that position to get Jalen Brown money, not not yet. And he's talked about how he wants to be in Toronto. He would be resistant to the trade, at least in terms of, hey, am I going to sign that extension? Uh, I, and I, I, part of that, I mean, most of that might have to be that he thinks he's going to be an all-NBA talent and he could put himself in a, bitter, a better position to make a ton of money. He could make Jalen Brown money. So I'm thinking about, okay, what Pascal Siakam wants is probably the opportunity to be an all-NBA player. And I'm thinking about, okay, where is that the best spot to do? And I, and I think there's an argument that, hey, if you play for the Toronto Raptors, it's the best chance for you to be in that position. If you get traded, you don't maybe don't know what your role is going to be. Maybe you're going to be the second best player on that team. But he knows in Toronto he's going to be the best player on that team. Do you think that's part of the loyalty equation here? Or do you think this is just a player in Siakam who wants to be in a position where he can make his own decisions at the end of his contract? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always a loyalty factor, especially from a, a, a for a team that drafted you. Um, the thing also is that if he's ever traded, um, the All NBA criteria goes out the window. He wouldn't be eligible for that big number with his next uh, with his next team here. So that certainly uh, plays into uh, in, into a role there also. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different. I think, listen, he's been there eight years there's a comfort level there i think certainly what direction this team goes if they're competitive i think will certainly play um, you know play a role in that so for you right now uh what is the biggest bit of outstanding business left in the nba offseason i mean usually it's uh frantic usually it's you know rife with trade rumor yeah. and all this stuff going on maybe it's been a little quieter this year maybe that's a misread but it just seemed like it just dragged on with kevin durant uh, last summer, mm-hmm. if there is a bit of outstanding business left this offseason that you expect to be done, uh, is it Lillard? And if not Lillard, what is it? Yeah, I think it has to be Damian Lillard. I mean, I think we could be, you know, if we're waiting by the phone or waiting for the smoke to come through the chimney on Lillard, we might be waiting for a while here. But I think certainly, you know, August is a funky month just because it's like, I always say we usually always get married or have babies. <laughs> you know, that's what teams do, right? Like that's, we're in this kind of like hiatus here. I mean, I get, you know, my wedding anniversary is next week here and we, we're kind of in a, like a little bit of a slow period here. And I think usually things pick up closer to, um, to, to Labor Day because players start to report back. Um, there'll be a realization for Damian Lillard, like if he's not traded by September, wait a minute, I'm going to have to report for camp in three weeks here or four weeks here, and Miami is not my destination, and what, what happens next year? And so, yeah, I think Lillard um, is probably the big thing that we're probably sitting on. I think eventually he gets traded. I think James Harden is going to be interesting also here because if you're Philadelphia, you're, you're trying to get as much as you can, and I don't think you can get as much as you can for for Harden, um, you know, with that with that situation. But, yeah, I mean, we're in this period where, you know, I think most rosters are filled, kind of just finishing touches here. Yeah, teams are still digesting this new CBA that came into play right before free agency started here. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think we're casually waiting to see what happens with Damian Lillard. I do think at the end of the day he'll be in Miami. I just don't know, you know, right now what that package would really look like and how many teams, you know, eventually get involved. Well, happy early anniversary. Um, <laughs> that'll be exciting for you guys. Um, and so if we're talking about James Harden here, is it the Clippers for you if he does get traded? Is that the best landing spot? 
I think so. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, what, how much the Clippers are willing to give up here. Um, you know, they've got all these expiring contracts and uh, Terrence Mann's been named, and a player that's been named, you know, a young player and they've got some first round picks. And, but I said it back in, um, I guess it was early July here when this was all going on. I think Philadelphia has to realize, like, if you move off James Harden, that you are going to take a step back and you're, it's going to be a gap year. And is that okay with Joel Embiid? I mean, that's the big thing is that, you know, and I know people could say, well, when they had done Simmons and Simmons sat out, they were 10 games over 500. I just think the roster has changed a lot. And Tyrese Maxey's a heck of a player. But I heard Daryl Morey, their president's um, interview on, I think, Philadelphia radio here. And he's like basically saying, he's like, you know, he still views him as, well, A, he wants him back. And he still views him as an, an all-star that can bring back a lot in a trade. And I, I just don't see a landing spot out there where teams are going to give up multiple first and young players here for a player on the last year of his contract. Uh, last one for you, Bobby. I guess it's been, you know, there's been a lot of rumors, but it's been, I guess, a quiet offseason uh, for the Toronto Raptors, aside from losing Fred Van Fleet in that uh, big deal with the Houston Rockets. Do you expect anything from them? Do you expect this to sort of be the group that enters training camp and, and uh, uh, you know, tries to improve, I guess, on last year's season? I mean, they're in a really wonky spot right now, and it seems like, not that we have more questions than answers, because I guess Fred did provide some clarity, but still in terms of yeah. directions with this team, uh, we are not quite clear yet. No, and I think, you know, you go out and you get Dennis Schroeder, and it's kind of a stopgap because it's a two-year contract, and you get McDaniels, who's, a, you know, a big wing, so you kind of, you know, you fill in some, in Grady Dixon, you know, a nice young player as far as you get a shooter here. So I think, I think you're going to be in a, in a major evaluation period for training camp, and I think we'll know a lot more when we get closer to December here as far as what direction this team is going to be. And I think what you see now is I think what you'll see in, in late September, early October, but I don't think it's what you'll see probably come, probably come February. Uh, Bobby, appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, they got you working late in the summer, working, working through the anniversary. Uh, I mean, it's just, I guess, the price to pay. But we appreciate you coming on this morning uh, for sure. And hopefully we can get, do this again soon. But we won't, we won't bug you in the next couple of weeks. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you. That's Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office. And Les Siakam. Insider. Traded. Then we'll bug him. Then we'll definitely bug him. We will him. call him on his I, anniversary date night. I don't think it's happening. We will though. call the restaurant, order him a bottle of champagne, and also take him on the phone. Yes. This is the, thing the best I, we could do. This is the thing I'm concerned about here because he mentioned it's a $110 million difference between all being all NBA and not. Mm-hmm. Like it's a huge difference. And if, if Siakam's thinking about anything right now, he's thinking about trying to secure that because what has this team, the Raptors, given him in terms of assurances that they're going to be competing this year. Like, why would the priority for him be anything else but, hey, what can I do in terms of individual stats and individual performance to get myself in a position where I'm making over $300 million on my next contract? I just don't... That is that is my one issue here. It's like... It, <sighs> It's just, it just seems like it's not, that's not the number one priority, which is team stuff. And if we're moving on from that, let him try and earn that money elsewhere. No? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Were you, were, were you surprised when Bobby Marks' answer to your question about how lucrative deals will look like in five years was only $400 million? A little bit. I thought he was going to be like five, which would, 50, would that six. equate to seventy-five million a season? 
And yes, Jalen Brown's doing 75. 69 at the end of his like, contract. Well, I think we'll be way more. I, th- I thought there was going to be like, okay, in 10 years, 400 100, was like, 100 million a season. I as thought. crazy as it sounds, 400 was, oh, that's moderate. Yeah, I thought he was going to say 100 million a season yeah. in 10 years for the best player in the NBA. Well, we'll see because it's uh, there's some money out there. Yeah. <laughs> some countries have some money. Some countries have some money. Um, okay. And others don't. And, and others don't. And some leagues certainly don't. Um, all right. So this this week and all summer long, we've been giving away tickets to Bud Stage Summer Concert Series. Today, we have another pair of tickets to give away for Justin's favorite band, Beck mm. and Phoenix. Band or individual performer? Beck and Phoenix playing at Budweiser stage on <laughs> September 3rd as a part of their summer Odyssey tour to enter all you have to do is text in the code word fences to 59590 that's fences to 59590 if you don't win with us you can secure your tickets at ticketmaster.ca so tune in tomorrow as we have another pair of tickets to give away for smashing pumpkins okay one of the best band names out there Very um, good name. smashing pumpkins that'll be coming up so we're giving away different tickets all week long and today it is fences, 590, 590. You've already seen somebody send in the word senses. No, fences. Like what's in your backyard? It's close. It's close. With an F. 590, 590. Okay, so Canada and Ireland is kicking off uh, shortly here. I mentioned just before we got Bobby on that I'm kind of thinking Ireland plus a goal is even plus okay. a half goal and is a decent play. What are you play. seeing for that? Do I want to bet against Canada? I'm not sure, but this Ireland team has been branded, marketed as this really difficult team to break down. It's going to be tough to score for Canada anyway, mm-hmm. but they don't have Christine Sinclair who scored a million goals for this team and the most goals ever for any player on the world stage. So, uh, yeah, I feel like this is going to be a pretty hard-fought battle. I'm taking – should I go with half goal or should I just take the under? I don't really know. Ooh. I'm just not expecting Canada to just have like a, a, a bountiful night in terms of goal scoring. How about that? I or think morning. that's fair. Yeah, it is uh, 8 a.m. here. I thought you'd blindly bet Canada. I have. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for knowing me well. Uh, okay. If you missed it earlier, we mentioned uh, Jesse Fleming back in the starting uh, lineup and Christine Sinclair, her first time not starting ever at a FIFA World Cup. She will be on the bench waiting in the wings for her moment. So just saving it for when she scores that second half winner. She certainly might. Did you see, I know we don't have too much time here, but did you see the um, nicknames for women's world cup teams? Yes. So Fox soccer put out, what's the best team nickname? And so all of the soccer teams have different nicknames. So Ireland is girls in green stars and stripes, obviously United States, uh, the football ferns, the super falcons, the football girls. I'm reading some of these off here. Anyway, every single team at the FIFA World Cup has an official nickname. And on this list, beside Canada, it says no official nickname. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this caught a lot of attention. It's got 6 million views, this tweet. Yeah. Uh, because everyone's quote tweeting, being like, love Canada's, love it, no official nickname. Ha ha ha. So we do need to figure out how we can get an official nickname for the girls. Um, but Wasn't I kind of like it. Wasn't in uh, yeah, soccer Canada's budget. Couldn't afford budget. to get one. There's couldn't a lot of fun anything. ones, but no, they are no official nickname. And if you go to Team Canada's soccer page in their bio, it says no official nickname with a smirk. Nice. So maybe that lights a little fire under them. You don't think we're good it's enough for a nickname? Now it's, now it's a content play. Uh, can can you do the Reds if you're Soccer Canada? Or is TFC like... I think they can't they, touch they, that. They, earn that. they own that, I mean. I mean, we could certainly brainstorm some. Yeah. 
We could. The maples, I don't know if we're going to come maples. up with maples. Eh, it's a bit close to something else. The the lady maples. The, the lady maple maples. Ma- m- the maple mavens. Let's, let's, the maple mavens. The maple mavens? What does that even mean? I don't know. I like it. Okay. We'll workshop in the break, but just before we go... Reminder, Shohei Otani in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Visit Rogers Center on Sportsnet 590, the fan Friday night. Ben Shulman, Madison Shipman with the call. Cannot wait for Friday night with Shohei Otani on the bump. Just three, four days before the trade deadline. Uh, That's going to be an interesting one. We have an interesting final block as well with Canada, Ireland. About to be underway, we'll chat with Andrew Raycroft and Caitlin McGrath. That is next.